Welcome to the Learning Project Network, where we learn through stories to make a change. The Learning Project Network, an organization dedicated to social justice issues. We are dedicated to learning about issues that impact children, families, and communities to help start conversations that lead to solutions. We believe that through storytelling and peer support, individuals can better understand how experiences lead to outcomes. project i am so excited today first of all y'all you know i'm about bringing people onto the platform that you can listen to learn from and follow um i have nekahal here she is so amazing first of all if you have not checked her out please do you are going to learn some things today neka i want to thank you so much for being here at the learning project you are doing some phenomenal work in our communities and in your local community. So tell us who are you and what are you doing to make a difference in this crazy world? <laughs> well, thank you for having me first and foremost. Um, I am, who am I, Jeesh? Right now I am Jelani's mom, Simone's mom, Anaya's mom, and Bradley's mom. Jelani is 21. Um, senior in college, finishing up in December, EMT, um, going on to med school next year. Let's do it. Is, yes, a junior in high school, crazy high GPA, looking at only Ivy League colleges, graduating next year. Um, Anaya is actually who brought me into this work. Um, she was stillborn and 39 weeks gestational age um and it blew my mind it, it i had no idea of the black maternal more about more, more maternal morbidity or black infant mortality rates yeah yeah um and i had to i had to learn more had to see more and i was wondering why someone wasn't running through the streets saying hello ladies and gents you For need real. to wake up and become aware of what's going on around you. Yep. So not wanting um, Anaya's stillbirth, which I refer to as my rebirth because Anaya passed away in utero while I was waiting to be seen by my OB on August 26, 2010. Wow. And was born on August 27th, 2010, which was my 37th birthday. Wow. So I always refer to that as my rebirth because I don't even know who I was before um, Anaya. So not wanting, you know, I'm a doula, full spectrum doula. I've been a doula for 10 years. Um, I am a maternal health advocate. I'm an herbalist. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a childbirth educator. Um, I'm take, sitting for my CLC exam at the end of the month. That's um, so exciting. for a death doula, um, a fertility it, doula. I'm going to have to put a pin in this because we have not had anybody that has been on our podcast series that is a death doula. And I have been reading tons of uh, information about people's experience. Can you just sit right there and tell us what a um a lot of people called call themselves different things when it pertains to being a death doula so tell us a little bit about what you do and what does that mean and how are you supporting people well um to be fully transparent the only person i've really supported was my grandmother who transitioned almost a year ago mm -hmm. um and i've been mainly providing support to families who suffer the loss of an infant from conception through age two mm -hmm. for the past 10 years and i'm just now dipping my toe into the death doula space but what death doulas do and i'm getting comfortable so <laughs> so bear with me get for comfortable. Get comfortable. that's all right <laughs> yes we do um what a death doula does is they hold space and they actually find out when and where possible what the person who will be transitioning wants. Um, we make death plans. Um, and, and if you haven't done it already, I would advise 
everyone listening to do one. You never know when, you know, and you don't want, you don't, I'm not one for surprises. Right, right. So you want people to know where your stuff is at, Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. your passwords are, Mm -hmm. how you want to be, um, if you cannot speak for yourself, what do you want? What are your wishes? Um, what, what do you want to wear? You know, um, do you want clothing changes as Aretha did? You know, what do you want, you know, your last moments to be like, what would you like? Just like someone on death row, they get their last meal. If possible, what do you want your last meal to be? Wow. You know, there are certain things that you have to think about. Who's going to get the house if you own a house? Who gets that car? Who is going to take care of your children? You know, I mean, that one fits with me because remember I said, my oldest is 21. Yeah. And I didn't even get to my youngest yet. My youngest is my rainbow (laughs) and she's seven. Wow. And being a, you know, a, a doula, I am working with families who are pregnant. I did not want Anaya to be my last personal birth experience because I wouldn't have been able to keep on with birth work if she had been. I would have lived in constant fear. So um, as a death doula, when I was working with my grandmother, um, everything, I mean, it was an amazing experience. to bring her home from rehab and care for her right here, multi-generational, meaning my aunt was here, her her youngest daughter, um, her son. I was here with all three of my children and we all collectively loved on, cared for, we did everything for her. We did her baths, we did her changings, et cetera. And at the very end, um, my final act was to swaddle her before wow. she was taken wow. by the mortuary um, to make the obituaries. You know, all of that can be done before a person dies because we want people to be able to tell their own stories. Wow, that's powerful. And I think that's like the one thing that I find in the doula arena is that we are all about people owning their own narrative, their own stories and helping them to process that and to think about how they want to navigate these different spaces. And so I am so intrigued with how different doulas are practicing in different areas to help support and grow people's journeys, regardless if they're, um, you know, before and after life. Tell us a little bit more, Neka. Like you're, you do a lot of of great work um, to help people kind of find their journey to understand where they want to go when it comes to their bodies. What other project are you working on currently that you want to share with us? <laughs> well, and also your old project too, because I know you've already gone to another one. You guys, I already know the kind of story, so I'm gonna set this up. <laughs> well, well, I'm I, I have my my I'm, I'm fully immersed. In, in several projects. Um, my newest baby is the Black History Month baby that you're actually gonna be speaking yes. a night in. So um, and and I'm excited. I, I, I didn't know what to do, but I knew something had to be done because people still don't understand the genocide that we're in, in regards to Black maternal health and Black infant health. And Absolutely. I figure we can take 28 days and talk to birthing families. You know, if you know anybody who who plans to give birth or or is in the is pregnant or was pregnant or what have you, it's time for them to understand that we are in a serious decline when it comes to the positive things that we think about when when there's birth. We have a whole generation of young black birthers or potential birthers, I should say, who are gonna be graduating from high school and college and deciding not to have children. 
because they truth. live in fear. The truth. Now, let me truth. tell you something. When my 16 year old told me at 14 that God did not give her life for her to lose her life to give somebody else a baby, I almost, I, it floored me because I mm. want a lot of grandchildren. <laughs> I think I deserve a lot of grandchildren. <laughs> I want I want grandchildren surrounding me and I want to be able to love on them the way that my grandmother loved on me. Yeah. However, yeah. my oldest daughter says that if she ever has a daughter, a sister-in-law or, you know, she's not letting her little sister or her sister-in-law die to give some give me my grandchildren. Now, I take offense to that. <laughs> so I have a lot of work to do. Yeah. I am that town crier running yeah. through the streets saying, yeah. hello, this is real. It's not, it's not fake news. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it became a lot more real Je this month, January 12th. Um, I lost a niece. Wow. Who, um, could not, she had help syndrome last year. Um, a week after finally bringing her preemie home from the hospital, her toddler brought COVID home and everyone got better, but she kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, we thought she was gonna be okay because she she seemed to pick up. You know, she was doing okay. She had been moved from the, finally got out of ICU on Christmas, moved to rehab and was doing okay. And due to complications of COVID, she passed away suddenly. So and so and leaving a now um, seven month old baby girl and a three year old daughter. So it's real, you know, maternal mortality is real. Yeah. But if we can catch it at that morbidity factor, um, then we have hope. So for the entire month of February, I'm hosting the Educating Black Birthers series, 8 p.m. Eastern time um, on Zoom, just to educate people on, you know, I'm not gonna be doing all of the talking. I'm actually hoping to blend in with the wall. <laughs> um, I have phenomenal speakers, such as yourself, coming out. So excited, thank you. <laughs> yes, people who have been doing this work pretty much now I'm 48 years old so I know they've been doing it all of your life life mm -hmm. and some have been doing it most of my life if not all of my life and these are people who are actively in the communities doing the work and it's imperative because their numbers are down so we need to find yeah. out from them what their secrets are yeah and how absolutely. are they saving their black birthing people Absolutely. So that's what's happening the entire month of February. And I am fired up. I've even pulled in my son to talk about emergency medicine protocols and what they Ooh, look like. Um, that's real good. Yes. For when, when, when he's called, excuse me, when he's called to a birth. So I'm excited about that. Um, and, and I'm just fired up and ready to go. And, and I'm going to try to keep it under, keep it to the hour mark that week, because you know I'm long-winded. I'm going to try to keep it to that hour. I am too. So don't you worry. I'm going to try to keep it to that hour, okay? But I can't make any promises. I always have an after party, so people who want to leave can leave. I stop recording, and then we we have our little powwow afterwards where we, we can sit for hours and just shoot, chew it out, just talk about everything that's on our hearts. So love that's it. one of the projects. Um, I love it. I I'm love also it. working with, and I think it's either February 28th or 26th. We're waiting to hear back to confirm with one of our legislators. Um, we're gonna be, I'm gonna be working with Count the Kicks or Healthy Birthday to talk about um, different black maternal health issues here in Massachusetts. I love so it. We will see how that goes. Um, I'm a Count the Kicks ambassador. Um, and for those that don't know what that is, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Program? You know, I wish I had known, and all of this stuff came after losing Anaya. Um, before losing Anaya, 
it was it seemed like it was okay for a doctor or a medical professional or even a mid or a midwife to ask their clients have you felt the baby move but after Anaya, I learned that Im- that it's imperative for families to count kicks. Yes. And yes. if they don't count kicks, they won't get to know their ba- the rhythm of their mm-hmm. baby's movement. Mm-hmm. What's normal and what's not normal. When is that baby slowing down? The slowing down process is what actively shows that something might be wrong. Now, it could be nothing. But in most instances, when the baby stops moving, babies have no concept of room. So don't say, oh, the baby's slowing down because there's not enough room. We grow to the size of a watermelon with these little people inside of us, kicking and moving and jabbing and turning and doing whatever they want because that's that's the only space that they're familiar with. If you notice when they come out, they stay in the fetal position because they have no idea for a while that there's space. Yeah. And then once we unswaddle them and put them into a new space where they can feel feel around and see, wait a minute, what is this? There's more space. So for someone to ask, um, to say that babies stop, slow down or stop moving as much towards the end of a pregnancy because of this lack of space, that's, that's bull. And anybody who's carried a baby full term knows that baby still does leg up. Absolutely. They, Absolutely. They, you know, they still stretch. Mm-hmm. They still flop. They mm-hmm. still kick, jab. Mm-hmm. And so the purpose of um, kick counting and why I support, and there are a lot of apps out there that can help you with this, but I support count the kicks because um, they allow for you to download information Mm. And you can track your baby's movements. Yeah. And then you have proof that you can take to your doctor. You can print out the, the kick counting history. Wow. Take it to your doctor, email it to your doctor, do whatever, just get it to the doctor and say, this is the baby's normal pattern. Yeah. And for these past however many days or weeks, this is what we've been dealing with. Okay, you know? that is phenomenal. I have never heard of this program and that is, you guys, if you do not know what she's talking about, do like me, I'm going to definitely do some research. I want to look this up because that is something that I struggled with when I was pregnant with my daughter because they would like say, how many times is she cook kicking or whatever? And it's such a weird space because you're learning about your body. You don't really know what you should be feeling, how you should be feeling it, but you're learning, you know, even your baby's body. How does that baby's body move within you? And so it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing when you're trying to figure that out and to have something that can help you communicate that with the doctor. I love that so much. And not only through this kick counting process, the way that, and they've upgraded their app so that now that every time you feel a movement, you can press, you can press, you can press and what? log in. Yes. And that is it's, awesome. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, babies move, they dance in utero when they yeah. hear music. You know, they get cold and just like we stop moving when we get cold, they stop moving when you drink something cold. So you mm-hmm. get to mm-hmm. really, really get to know your baby and bond with your baby through counting these kicks. And then when you really get to know the baby, when a doctor says to you, well, how do you know that the baby's movements have slowed down? You, you pull out your app, which can be found on your phone yep. or on your, your, on your you know, mobile device or on your computer or wherever you're doing this. And you say, well, this is the baby's history from 28 weeks to now. This is huge. Yes. I, I love this. This is so good because again, we need to figure out what tools can empower our pregnancy because we don't, a lot of us don't know how to communicate. We can barely communicate about our bodies and when we're not pregnant about what's going on and feeling like we can advocate for our body. But being able to say, hey, this is what I've learned about my body, what's going on with me and my baby, I need help. And this was, this is something that um, I talked about on one of my other uh, podcast series called Finding Strength in Love. And one of the mothers was saying that, you know, when she knew she was having a, uh, her baby, she was having a miscarriage. And um, she was like trying to convince these doctors um, and the nurse that she needed to come in 
Um, Cause at first she was talking to the receptionist. She was like, no, I want to talk to my nurse. She's like, no, I want to talk to my doctor. Um, and they were like, you know, you're overreacting, especially with black women, you know, because we can be very, uh, we're different when we communicate sometimes when we are in urgency. And, you know, sometimes people will think that's, oh, you're being overdramatic. You're being this, you're being that. Um, no, this is a sense of concern and there's a heightened, um, sense in my, in my body, I need to take care of this. Um, and so some women are not able to feel like they were, they're being heard or they're not communicating, or if they're communicating, they're being ignored. And that's not all always. There's some great nurses and doctors and people in this community that are doing things, but we've got a long way to go because we have to confront our own biases and we have to confront, um, how can we make our healthcare system more of a healthcare system versus a sick care system? Exactly. And we have to know that if one person says no, is you can keep going. Yes. Until you find that person who's actually going to take you seriously. We got to put a pin in that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of us do not do that. What gives you the courage or how do you encourage your clients to take that, that step of saying, okay, you're not going to listen to me. I'm going to go somewhere else. Because for some reason, as women birthing people, we get real loyal to these doctors that are not doing anything to us. I don't know what it is. I don't know why, but it's something that when we don't feel very connected with people, we feel like that is our only option. So can you talk to me a little bit about how you coach your clients into Ah. understanding that advocacy part? (laughs) Let me tell you something. When I was pregnant with my youngest, I saw um, my my OB was, was, she could have been one of my children. She was just that young. Mm. And any issue that I had, she said that I was, um, it was because of my age. So I was naturally having my previous pregnancy ended in stillbirth. I was nervous. Wow. So, I, you know, that entire first trimester, I was back and forth being seen by that doctor. Well, one day after four visits to the ER between um, appointments, this doctor walks into the room. I'm in seeing her. She walks into the room, back to me, didn't look at me, looking at her computer screen the entire time, back back you know I'm back here behind her wow and she she's saying to me something about my age again Mm. let me just tell you I got up Mm. off of the table she's still talking my shoes and coat and purse were behind behind the curtain Mm -hmm. which led to the doorway I slid to the right (laughs) Move to the right. Wow. Um, Slid behind that curtain, picked up my coat, purse, and shoes, walked in my socked feet out of that door. She was still talking. And then I I booked it down the hallway to the elevator. People looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm I'm trotting down the the hallway (laughs) with my shoes and my purse and my coat in my hand. I get to the elevator, put my shoes on put my coat on, mm-hmm. got onto the curb and then dialed another hospital and asked for another doctor who I had met um, shortly after losing Anaya, who showed me that I could have it my way, showed mm. me that birth was to be had my way because I saw her a couple of weeks after that. And she asked me because for whatever reason, my old um, the old hospital would not send my records over to her. And she said, well, can we get another, um, I want to do another pelvic exam. I said, no. Um, Can we do this, that, and the other? I said, no. She didn't press it. We moved forward. When it was time for me to give her my my birth plan. Now, remember, I I had been a doula for several years at this point. Uh It was a beautiful negotiation. Absolutely beautiful. Mm. I told her from day one, the very first appointment, that I did not want to see anyone else. I did not want to be touched by anyone else. I did not want to show up and be greeted by a stranger. Right. So the day we we even set the date for my induction, 
because I did not want to carry beyond 37 weeks. Wow. And I carried to 37.2, chose my daughter's um, birth date. And because I told that doctor that I didn't want to see anyone else throughout the pregnant, the rest of my pregnancy, if she was going to be late, she called me herself. If she couldn't see me and needed to reschedule, she called mm -hmm. me herself. Mm -hmm. And I was not expecting this because we all know, especially people who've given birth, you're rarely delivered by the person you see. Uh, yeah. To the hospital. Uh, when it was time for me to push, she walked in and said, I hear someone's ready to have a baby. Let's have a baby. Mm. And she taught my daughter. And I could barely push because I was crying so much wow. over the fact that I had it my way. Wow. And for me to be discharged, she came back to the hospital and, and discharged me herself. When Wonderful. it was time for my six to eight week appointment, she gave me my annual pap at that appointment so I would not have to see anyone else for a year. You can have it your way. Beautiful. You are paying for a service. See, we look at it wrong and until um, Lee, my youngest child's birth, I looked at it the same way that everybody else did. This wow. is a, now I look at it for what it is. This is a fee-for-service project, product, mm. okay? You may not be pulling cash out, and in some instances you are, you know, pulling cash out to pay for this service. This is your money. Would you go to somebody who disrespected you to get your hair or your nails done? Absolutely not. Would Absolutely you go not. to somebody to give you a massage who disrespected you? No. Would no. you go into the supermarket and buy spoiled meat or sour milk? No. No. no so no. why are you accepting anything from these people who graduated from somebody's college and learned something secondhand? Woo! Why are you allowing someone who cannot see you beyond a 15 minute period to dictate how you feel. If you know you feel like crap and they look at you and tell you you feel like sun, sun, sunshine, does that make you feel better? The answer is no. No. So when it's exactly little one, you know, when you hear, you know, <laughs> she's, my like, I, she's like, yep. But see, you have to look at it that way. Would yeah. you go to a fast food restaurant and allow them to drop your food on the floor, watch them step on it, pick it up, put it back in the patty, in, in, the, in the bun and hand it to you. No. So we have to start looking at birth in the same respect because this is a life or death situation. We have a doctor here in Massachusetts who says that black women are inferior, who treats us like trash and he's still allowed to practice. I have a problem with that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he's a world-renowned doctor, um, expert in this field, mm -hmm. but he's using black bodies to experiment on oh my so goodness. that he can um, get the right answers for his white patients. You know what's so crazy? A lot of us think that this stuff is not going on and it's far and distant. And, you know, they talk a lot, oh, this happened only to the Tuskegee Airmen, no. or, you know, this is like something that's happened long ago. And it's because many people don't talk about it. You know, we don't collectively talk about what is happening to our health um, as a community of color. And when you put it, you know, put it into dollars and cents, when you go in to see your doctor, the amount of money that's being billed to your insurance or billed to you if you don't have insurance is an astronomical amount that should that should make you say hmm well this person's getting paid to treat me like trash so let me let me take myself out of this equation and a lot of people don't know how to do that see until i i got fed up with that doctor that day never once seeing her face from the moment she walked into the room me fearing that I was gonna lose this child, I was 40. Wow. I would have been I was 41 when I had her, figuring this was my last pregnancy. You know, 
uh-uh. I deserve to have it my way. I did have it Absolutely. my way. And you deserve the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think a lot of times when we think of people having it their way, we think that it can't be done medically. We think that we, you know, whatever that person says, everything else is thrown out the way. It's about a partnership, but hearing your patient and hearing your person and saying, this is what this individual needs. And this is what she is re or, or the person that is giving birth requesting. That is what we need to be adhering to. And we need to figure out different ways that we can partner with that person because we have had a lot of broken pieces within the medical community. And we need to figure out how to like put that back together. We can't just put in place, like this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Um, this is what you have to do it because that is just making more um, of a gap when it comes to that transparency and that development of um, of community when we're thinking about the healthcare community. And also too, we're not talking about how do we diversify our, our community? You know, it's not just doctors and nurses. There's all these people that can come together to help create this experience. It's not just those two people. Right, there's a whole team. And see, when you look at birth or any aspect of birth, you have to look at the whole team. You look at the mental health clinician, you look at the doula, you look at the OB or and or the midwife. You look at every member. You look at the um, the nurse practitioner or whoever else. You look at the PA. I loved my PA. My PA was my youngest. Um, you look at all of the pieces in the puzzle, and then you have to in your puzzle for your dynamic. And then you have to say, okay, when you evaluate these pieces, which one is not fitting? And that piece has to be removed because one ill-fitted piece will make the whole system crumble. Then you have to deal with postpartum depression and psychosis. Yeah. Then you have to deal with the guilt over whatever happened, whether, you know, the birth trauma. Then you have to deal with, you know, what happens if some, you know, the morbidity side of things, you know, and then you're going to worry about the mortality you know am i going to die mm. these are all things that our women have to put to put in place that's why you need a therapist yeah you yeah. need a therapist while you're pregnant yeah those hormones are crazy um you know you if you've never been pregnant before you really don't know what's going on yeah you don't you really you don't know, anybody can tell you anything mm -hmm. and you'll believe them Lord knows, I, I know I'm probably going to be slapped by the ancestors for saying this, <laughs> but please, please, please stop listening to these old women who don't remember giving birth 60 years ago. That part. That's I can't remember everything, every aspect of being no. pregnant and giving birth 21 years ago. So I know they can't remember 60 years. <laughs> you so don't what? listen to them when they tell you, well, I bounced right back. That's not uh -uh. possible. No. No. It did not happen. You had a whole person come out of your vagina. Some, in some instances, two. And in some instances, three. Yep. Or and, more. You know, I don't mean to cut you off because you're hitting something that I've been really trying to nail in. There's a difference between survival, trauma, and care. Like, right. did you have to do what you had to do out of survival? Did you do what you had to do out of trauma? Did you have to do what you had to do um, because you know that you deserve care, like, and you understand that the body needs to heal and, and mend a certain way. A lot of people did not have that option or they didn't even know about it or they didn't have the tribe to, to basically make that happen. We have the knowledge now to be able to say, you know what, we need to take back our births and the way we're birthing and the way we are caring for one another after birth, even regardless if, regardless of what spectrum that's on, you have the right to get care and you should have people around you that are going to help you to physically, mentally, and spiritually heal. This is not just only for the birthing person, but also for the partner too, because right. we need that, we need that, that whole family to be whole as they move forth in, um, in this That's new journey. Right. That's right. And it's the only way that they'll remain a family unit when there is any yes. kind of stress brought in during the postpartum period. Now, I often <laughs> I often compare the postpartum period to being a war zone. Think about it. And when you're at war, you have 
the enemy that 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 you capture and you waterboard you you do whatever it takes to get that get that information out of them so let's switch it up a little bit when you have a baby these babies birth is a trauma for them remember they were in this warm space given everything they needed that was so, pseudo dark and then we pull them out and put them in these cool places where they feel they don't feel nestled they don't feel warm they don't and all of these bright lights and noises that were muffled and strange voices because they only know their immediate family's voices and then we expect them not to cry we're no longer rocking them in the in utero yeah and we're expecting them to know how to sleep on their own yeah we're setting ourselves up for failure as postpartum families without that support what happened to the times when, I mean, in other countries, non-Westernized culture countries, they still have that support. It's everyone knows. I Absolutely. Give, I give birth. I'm at. I'm. I'm. I'm in home. At home. Yep. In the bed. Head covered. Covered. Full body covered. Mm-hmm. For forty days, thirty-eight days, fifty days, however long, sixty days, nine. You know, weeks, forty weeks, however many weeks, forty-two weeks, etc. Depending on a culture. But in westernized culture, you have the baby today and you're back at work tomorrow. And that's all stems from slavery. Remember yes. the slave women would have the baby, throw the baby on their, uh, in, in a wrap mm. and go back to work. Mm. We are no longer slaves. Mm. We are no longer slaves. We deserve to preserve and to heal our bodies. For those of us in cold weather climates, come on now. Why do I still see wow. you outside in the snow and you just gave birth a week ago? Come on now. <laughs> outside playing True. in the snow with the kids. I don't True. care how much you like that white stuff that's out there that I hate. Okay? But that, you're wide open. Come on. Divine yeah. Divine started that whole wide, Divine Eyes with who, who teaches um, the Grandma Hand series. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and she talks about being wide open. You are literally wide open. You can't get any more open in life without having surgery. <laughs> right. You know, and it takes time. And that's the beauty of the body. Being able to, to over time, close itself and reform and, and come back down from the watermelon size to the large orange or, or grapefruit sized uterus. Yeah. And, yeah. But we have to allow for that can't rush it and that's the hardest part i think i'm gonna be real transparent right now y'all like that's probably been the hardest part for me is finding that balance because um you feel lazy you feel like okay do i need to be doing certain things should i be doing certain things do i have to do this no you don't and we're so used to going 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 that we don't realize that there's power in rest and how much that helps us to do better and move forward in the future and, you know, I want to take that word off of your tongue because you're still postpartum. You're not I lazy. Am. I am. You need to be resting. You need to rest when you feel you need to be sleeping, when the baby's sleeping. I never understood it until I had my fourth child. Yeah. And I did all of that. I mean, partially it was because I was 41 at the time. <laughs> I've been pregnant in my 20s, 30s, and 40s, y'all. I love it. So, <laughs> and people are like, well, you can't, my, my stepmother keeps saying, we have one more. I say, you lost your mind. I have a, a titanium hip, okay? It's a wrap. I got a titanium hip when my youngest was three. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. I'm not pushing nothing else out of me that will be calling me mom. I may adopt, but that's about it. But yeah, you should not feel lazy. You're entitled. This is one of the only times in your life you will be entitled to rest. Yeah. Take yeah. I taught my my older children how to care for me in my postpartum period. We meal prepped in the weeks before my um my my delivery. We we prepared everything, made sure they needed everything, you know, because um I had her like 
a week into the first full week of school. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we had to make sure they had everything they needed for school. My children would never eat school lunch. So we had to, you know, talk about what they were going to need in order to successfully make their own lunches. Yeah. Um, and so on and so forth. And plus, I still had my elders, my auntie and my grandmother mm-hmm. to do whatever they could do, you yes. know. Yes. And and it's a beautiful thing to have a community. And if you don't have family like that, mm-hmm. what do you think your neighbors are? Yeah. Your friends are. Yeah. You have to build your family when in absence of family. Absolutely. And I feel like this is where my doula really came in. Even though I had my mom, my dad, my husband, his mom, my doula was still there. Like she was like, okay, let's do this postpartum thing. Like I got some food. I'm gonna come over and cook for you. Check it on me every day. She's like, I know that you have a lot of people, but I need to make sure that you have an outlet of somebody else that can really come and connect with you and really make sure that you're okay. Because a lot of times people get caught up with the baby and they don't get caught up with the care of the mother. Of the mother. No, with my first pregnancy, um, my mother came from Florida and I'm thinking, oh, wow, she's coming to help me out. She's going to be doing laundry. She's going to be cooking. Oh, no, 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 no. My mother came and sat here for the entire month of August <laughs> holding my child. That's all she did while she was here. She held that baby, brought him back to me when it was time to change him but or when he was asleep. But the, the rest of the time, an entire month, of holding that child. And she held him in a way that when she left, all I could do was was follow in suit. So wow. up until he was like a year old, he was putting his head up under my chin and his knees into my chest because that's how she held him. And I was like, oh my God. So that's with the first. With the second, when I really needed support because we brought her home, but we yeah. had to take her back. She, she had a congenital heart defect and she had open heart surgery at two weeks of age. So wow. my, everybody scattered. But knowing now what I should have known then, I'm here to provide the support to people who were like me through the different phases. Yeah. Saw that I would really needed the support. I The only times I developed postpartum depression was when people scattered, mm. which were my middle two pregnancies. Wow. One because the child was chronically ill mm-hmm. and the other because the child died. Wow. So can, can we talk about that just for a second here? Because there's a there's a conversation we're missing, which is what do we do when we have families that are going through different types of I don't like calling them crisis, but like the different transitions. Like if you have a child that is sick, or if you have a child that has um, passed away, what do what can the community do to help really support uh, people? Well, um, when the baby dies or the mother dies, um, well, I'll take it two separately. When the baby dies, the family needs support. They need to know that they have people in their corner, someone to come in and, and, and organize meals, you know, so they don't have to think about it. Someone who can be the runner, you know, the person who runs things over to the mortuary if they need something or run to the grocery store if something's needed. Um, just run, run, run if, if needed. Um, someone to just sit there and hold space, open ears, closed mouth for that family. Hmm. You, need a, you almost need a blocker. Uh, what is it, person on defense, that's it. In football, they have like the defense, the whole line yeah. of defense. Yeah. You almost need that because there's always gonna be somebody who wants to come in and ask stupid questions or make stupid comments. And that's not something that the family needs. What they mainly need is to know that they have supports, even if they don't wanna talk about it. If they need to cry, they need to have a crying team. You know, like you have a prayer team at church, you still need a crying team. I am all about that. (laughs) All about that. You know, elders sometimes because they were not allowed to feel when they went through they're not some of them can be the worst people on these teams 
because you'll hear, well, when my this died or when my that died, I didn't do all that. It's not that they didn't feel sorrow. It's that during that time, they were not allowed to openly grieve. And see, if you, if you take the space that you need to grieve, that scab that forms on your heart will form stronger than it would for someone who's not taking the space and the time. Because mm. grief is something you have to go through. Yeah. So first things first, I would suggest a meal tree. There's an app for everything now. I love these days. There's like a meal tree app. Yep. <laughs> There's a journaling app. Uh-huh. There's a, a uh-huh. family connect family tree app. There's everything out there that you everything. need to stay connected. So definitely coordinate with neighbors and friends to get these people fed for at least the first couple of months of this journey. Um, don't ever feel the need as a sister, mother, grandparent, friend, godparent of the baby. Um, feel the need to go into the house and suggest breaking down the nursery. That's personal. That's none of our business. That's not within. Um, wow. I've had families fall apart yeah. you know, and stop speaking to loved ones because while the family was at the hospital, other family members decided it was time to break down the nursery. Ooh, yeah. And so you can't do that. Not without talking to them be- beforehand. So, um, just follow, follow the family's lead. Now, when a mother passes away, um, and this is why it's imperative to know your loved ones and to have these plans because, you know, certain things happen that you can never be prepared for and having that support system for the partner or husband is imperative. Um, constant, you know, you go, the person might've been breastfeeding or might've planned to breastfeed. So when the mother dies, then other arrangements have to be made. Um, when my niece passed away, my, um, niece's husband is a deputy and they have been taking care of him. But not everyone has that support. What they did was it took care of clothes for like the first year of the child's life. Toys, um, formula, even though we're in a formula shortage right now. For real. Um, All that, what is it, distilled milk, I mean, distilled water, excuse me, Uh bottles. Uh Um, His freezer and refrigerator remain filled. Everything, diapers, anything you can think of. You want to take things off of the partner's plate so that they can focus on loving that child and children, remaining children, Um, making memories, um, having someone go to the mortuary and make a, um, a cast mold of that mother's hand and then making a mold of the children's hands put in that hand so that they can see that their mother held their hand you know, and they'll have that for life because it's 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 cast. Um, and it's something to show them because there's no way that child will remember that mother. Wow. When That's when powerful. the mother, you know, when they're an infant. Um just holding space and being there, never saying any um at least statements which tend to be offensive. Uh yeah. Mm-hmm. Or any you didn't need. Or even, I know as Black people, we tend to be highly spiritualized and religious. Keep religion out of it, unless the family brings it in. So that would mean no God needed them more. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, No, you know, sitting at the right hand of Jesus or any of that, because it can be offensive, you know. the way that the people are thinking in the moment, religion comes later, you know, in the right, in their time when they're able to process. Totally agree. Such a loss. So definitely um, that's something to think about. 
when you're when you're supporting your family members and remember that everybody has the right to grieve it's their journey men and women grieve differently men need a a men's corner to grieve women we have a lot of support men need more support men need other men who Mm -hmm. know what they're going through Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know and and as the doula everybody there's a doula for everything so yes there definitely needs to be in this instance if the birth doula is not available um there are plenty of 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 bereavement doulas who can do this work and go in and assess the situation in a matter of minutes and provide those supports and put in place the newborn care specialist the post you know the postpartum care doula for the for the male Mm -hmm. um and whatever else they see that this family needs or even a nanny Mm -hmm. um you know i asked my sister to um ask her son-in-law if he'd be interested in a nanny because the babies are seven months and three yeah so you know he's been out of work since she went into the hospital in october and he has to go back to work wow you know so those are things you have you can think about you know and always support from a place of um never wanting anything back from that support this is powerful i i'm blown away by this conversation because we haven't had it and you know, it was one of the things that really hit me really hard in my in my uh, um, my uh, birth plan. I actually addressed my fear of dying during childbirth and my child die, dying during childbirth. And I that was one of the scariest things to write about because I needed them to understand that I'm reacting this way because I have fear in my mind and I need to make sure that I have a team that is not biased, does not have these stereotypes that are going to hear me and they're going to connect with me. And this lady named Diane, she was at the hospital and my mom couldn't come up because of the pandemic and things like that and the different policies. My mom got on the phone and she said, please protect my baby. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how that resonated with her, but it resonated, I felt, in a very uh, a powerful way. And she took care of me with my doula. Like, after I after I had my baby, my doula couldn't come up with me. She came up and she was like, hey, I just want to make sure that you're okay. I just want to make sure you don't need anything. And I want you to know I'm here for you. And I was just like, like, it just brought me to tears because I'm like, this is what everybody needs. This is what everybody should be entitled to. This is what everybody should experience because that healing comes from the things that people do within the hospital that are within that system. You know, um, when you have these experience, it breaks down that wall and it helps you to, to be more open, to be more transparent, to say that you can be taken care of by people who went into the field that actually were passionate about it because that passion can burn out real quick. You know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the term compassion fatigue, but mm-hmm. this is where people run in there and they're so excited about doing it. And then they start getting these, uh, they start seeing some patterns with people and it really, um, it gives them it can create like a stereotype it also can um wear them down you know the passion that they need or um the 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 care that they usually would give because they've seen so much of it and maybe they've had different outcomes or maybe they're just there's a there's so many collections of pieces of that um i'm just giving a few but we need to deal with that so that people can get back to their first love of of caring for people and seeing that this person's not just being a jerk or this person's not just being this like we need to be able to see like there's a deeper rooted issue and if somebody can write in their birth plan plan like hey i have um some concerns about black women dying during childbirth this is giving me a lot of anxiety this is what i need from my team or you know what i have suffered um physical uh trauma and people touching my body and being in this facility is making me really anxious. These are the things that I feel are super critical within a birth plan, as well as it's super important for us to be able to share a piece of our story so that we can really humanize ourselves to those that are working with us that are literally seeing us for the very first time, which still blows my mind 
you have a whole team and you're expected that that team is expected to see you that one day um, has never met you. You've been going to all these doctor visits and you may not even get the doctor that you've been visiting with. It's just it's heartbreaking what's happening within our field, because I feel like a lot of it is is avoidable. Doesn't happen. It is. It really is avoidable. And I I'm taken back to, um, you know, the pandemic. I um, was unable to physically be. Um, physically be in the room with my clients. So we did a lot of Zoom. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that the medical establishment, they'd walk in and I, they, everybody would speak and they didn't introduce me on their, their laptop or their tablet as their doula. And they'd be like, oh, and their, their, the way that they acted completely changed. It was hilarious. Wow. But, um, and then the question, are you recording? Yes, I'm recording so that they can have the recording of their birth. Um, but having to teach my clients and teach the partners and loved ones or whoever was going to be in the room with them, that, you know, if they felt that they were not being listened to, and this was supposed to be a joke of, of sorts, um, to put themselves, throw themselves across the body of their loved one until they could be heard. And I had to explain to the males, never raise your voice because most of my clients have been black throughout their past 11 years, 10 years, mm, 11 years mm. almost 11 years. Um, and we all know what happens when a black man raises his voice and how he's perceived. So I had to teach them all how to say things, you know, in the same tone that they had been speaking, no matter how concerned they became. And I only had one one father to actually throw his body across his wife's body <laughs> to say no can we just slow things down a little bit i don't feel like i'm being heard and i was like okay <laughs> i've never seen this before <laughs> but it was it was cute it was really yeah. cute yeah um and he was heard mm. you know because in a time where some in a non-emergent situation i should say you can slow things down. You can think things over. Yeah. You can say no to drugs. You know, um, throughout the pandemic, I don't know if you saw it, but I know I saw they were using, um, you know, narcotics to for pain for our pregnant people with live births. Wow. No. Yes. I heard about the nitroxide. They said they weren't um, allowing it in some hospitals, and um, oh no, they were using like pain pain medication, like real pain. To yes, one oh, of my clients, goodness. my very first, she um, we shut down March 2020. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. and I couldn't physically be there for her April birth, Oof. and. October 2020, she called me crying because she found her notes. Since I couldn't physically be there and was checking in every, you know, every couple of hours, um, she started, she was laying down, taking a nap with her son, and she remembered something that had happened, went back to the notes that she had taken and called me, have you ever heard of this medication? She said, and I'm like, yeah, that's a narcotic. And she's like, oh my God. Because she was wondering why she couldn't remember a lot of his birth. And that was why. And she felt violated. That's so crazy. She, she ended up writing. I had a client last May um, text me and say, um, you know, this nurse is saying uh, she wants to give me this. And she's saying it's not a narcotic, is it? And I said, well, did you Google it? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, what did it say? Because I didn't want to just out and out say, okay, it's a narcotic. Right. Um, she said, yeah, it said it was a narcotic. And I said, what else did it say? Well, it's not supposed to be used during labor and delivery. So what's your answer going to be? And she's like, I'm going to decline. I said, of course. I said, trust your gut. gut. Trust your gut. Always trust your gut. And since this couple did not listen, um, she ended up, they, they, they she was induced at 4 a.m., Wow. And could not dilate. Ugh. Now, knowing her family history, I, I said at 4 a.m. when they called me, um, C-section. I'd never said it before. Mm. 
but knowing her family history, I said C-section. And they said, no, we want to try. And hours went by and that night she started getting a fever and so on and so forth. So she ended up having a C-section. Oh, man. But the fact that nurses feel okay to say, I mean, an epidural is normal, you know? Right, right. But during the pandemic, just to keep people quiet, keep them, um, one of my clients was told that she want, they wanted her to rest and she was given a narcotic. Wow. Um, That's crazy. One of my clients that gave birth last year um, was so loopy during birth that when her baby came out, he wasn't crying and he was gray and they worked on him. Oh my God. There was no response. Ugh. So I said all that to say this. Um, you have to understand what birth is and what birth is meant to be and how you want your birth is important. How you want to feel after you give birth is even more important because those feelings are going to determine whether you suffer from postpartum depression. Wow. Um, postpartum guilt. Um, if you, that's why I say every birth, every, everybody needs a therapist as soon as they find out that they're pregnant. You know, and once again, Postpartum Support International has uh, oodles and boodles of therapists who are trained for perinatal mental health. So um, definitely anyone who's pregnant or newly postpartum within their first year, there's studies saying two years now, um, but definitely reach out to Postpartum Support International in your in your area and either A, get into one of their support groups. Absolutely. Or B, find yourself someone to talk to because mm -hmm. having these little screaming people that won't let you sleep, which is a reason why you have postpartum depression. Right. Um, really does change you. And it not does. Just changes the whole family dynamic and family unit. It does. Um, you know, it's so funny because um, I was literally telling somebody, you guys probably heard my baby earlier. My husband and I, we share an office. And so um, her grandparents watch her and on uh, certain days. And so when they come in and uh, they grab her and, and do different things, some days are like really good for her and some days are really bad for her, but it depends on how she slept that night. It depends on what's going on in her little body. And then I'm trying to manage my emotions, my things, you know, and it can be so much. And it literally makes you realize like, oh, I'm a different person at this point right now. And um, I'm not the same person. <laughs> and uh, when you come to that realization, it makes you understand that you need more. And if you don't act on that need and you don't figure out who you need to talk to, that's where you're really going to fall into a dark hole. And that's I, I, I always catch myself and always remind myself like your strength is in your unit. Your strength is in the resources around you. Um, Neka, what's the one last thing that you want our listeners to hear before we end this podcast? Well, regardless of who you're seeing in the medical community, you can't have it your way. You have to demand um, in a nice way. <laughs> I don't want you to get kicked out of your hospital. If one doctor is not doing it for you, is not listening to you, there are so many more. We, people, there are new doctors every year. So it's it's time for you to step into your power and and honor yourself. And, and say, I'm not taking this. Oh, you said what to me? Oh, no, 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 that was not necessary. Okay, it's time for me to find someone else. And, you know, it's okay for you to switch and keep switching whatever provider you're seeking, your PCP, your cardiologist, your OBGYN, it doesn't matter. Medicine is medicine and your insurance is paying for it or you are out of pocket. Now, if you're being mistreated and you're paying out of pocket, come on now. That part that part that part Neka, if people want to connect with you and want to learn more about what you're doing where can they find you oh god 
Okay, where can they find me? My email <laughs> is NECA at motherissupreme.org. Um, my websites are www.anaya.org and www.motherissupreme.org. Um, I love it. I love it. And no worries, you guys. We will have all of her contact information down below. Aneka, I want to thank you so much for being here. I am just so blessed by this conversation. Thank you for pouring into our listeners. Thank you for pouring into me and making me think about this journey um, that I'm on as birth advocate and really spreading the word and having more conversations about what can we do to make a difference and a change in our community. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, if you know somebody that needs to listen to this podcast, do not give them candy or flowers. Send them a podcast, something that can feed their mind, soul, and spirit. Until next time, you guys, see you soon. Bye.